This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, June the 21st. I'm your host, D.A., and we've got our NBA draft now in the rear view. Zion Williamson, as we all thought, went number one. Number two, John Morant to the Memphis Grizzlies. Number three, R.J. Barrett to the New York Knicks. Now, all of that was to be expected. We'll talk about some of those picks later on in Around the Dial, but first... Let's travel back to the NBA Finals because this offseason will be defined by what happened surrounding the Golden State Warriors. For the first time in three years, they are not NBA champions and two massive injuries obviously taking their toll and altering the course, the landscape of the NBA this summer. So the Clay Thompson injury, which happens in game number six of the NBA Finals, was just the final unfortunate icing on the cake for a Golden State season that just seemed exhausted and taxed at the end. Here's GM Bob Myers, who got teary-eyed talking about at the podium Kevin Durant's re-injury, who joined Greg Papa and Bonta Hill on 95-7, the game in San Francisco. When the clay one happened, I walked back out. Well, first of all, the, the part about, um, you know, he went back out there, right, which everybody's talked about, and he... Somebody ran out and grabbed us in the tunnel and said, if he, if, he, if he doesn't shoot these free throws, he can't come back. And Clay didn't even wait for an answer. He just walked back on the court. And I grabbed him and I said, listen, man, if you're going to shoot these free throws, because we didn't know what it was at that time. We, we didn't have no idea. He hadn't been examined. And I said, we don't know what this is. Shoot the free throws. Don't move. Just shoot the free throws and stay there. Okay. All right. I got it. Shoots the free throws. Runs of course, he starts running it. back. He's like, he'll log in. So what are you doing? He jumps up and down. But maybe that's my own fault for trusting that he would. But that's the competitor in the guy. Um. Anyways, I know we're supposed to talk about the draft. No, but I, no. And then I, I, Steve was using the zone. So when he yeah, went zone, he went this. Yeah. Were they? Did they want? Just Somebody fouled. No, no. Just, we, we, wanted, we, wanted we wanted to foul, foul. Yeah. immediately. I think, I think Demarcus, Demarcus took a foul. Yeah. yeah, he did. But we waited a little while. I a little bit. Well, well, that's why like he went back fouled. defensively, and then you went zone. I think are they going to look to hide him in the zone and not get him off the floor? So anyway, this happened. I'm uh, wa- so I'm watching yeah. that tunnel the entire time, and I see you walk up, and he comes back and shoots the free throws. He goes back up, and I'm watching the tunnel the entire time, and I'm waiting for Willis Reed to come out of the tunnel. Uh, uh, I think we all were. Yep. I saw you. Come out. come out of the tunnel, and yeah. I and I'm up on the, the suite level, and I can just see the I can yeah. see, you're like white. Yeah, the look on your face, yeah. and you went, you walked behind Joe Lacob, mm-hmm. and there was a security guard there yeah. that was like, you can't stand there, and you're yeah. like, I got something yeah. to tell yeah. the owner. Right? Did you did you did you tell him yeah. he tore I his ACL? I said, look, that's what they think. Yeah. I said we don't know, but that's what they think, and he just, you know, we're human beings. We can only process so much. And I think it was one of those ones where you just, you're literally, it's a bad thing to, I, just numb. You're numb. You're numb after what happened in Toronto and just, you just, um, it's too much. 
you know, too much to process. But, yeah, I told him then. I said, listen, I don't know, um, but but this is what it could be. And um, that by that time, I think Clay was already kind of walking off out the locker room. I mean, he got the MRI that night. But, yeah, they, um, they can manually feel. You know, yeah, they can. Kind of like can. the Achilles. They, 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 they can they, tell yeah, they right can away. Tell, they can t- you know, and, and sometimes, I mean, I don't know. I guess sometimes with an with ACL I guess you can be wrong. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that stuff well enough, but um, they had a pretty good sense this is what it is. So. To be clear, when I saw it initially, it looked like the inside ligament to me. I mean, you could almost see it move. Yeah. So I thought MCL. Maybe yeah. he just tore the medial collateral yeah. and did not get the ACL. We know the ACL is torn. Is the MCL fully intact? I think, the, intact, I think or that's is that okay? okay. I think that doesn't. Everything else is fine. I think, that, I think fine? that heals on its own. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't think he needs that. As far as I'm being told, it's just the ACL. All right. Surgery once the I, swelling once, comes yeah, down. Do you know yeah. when? Don't know exact. You do don't not know. know exactly. You want us to change yeah. topics? Medical yeah. hour is well, over. Well, yeah, you know on. what time it is. What is the problem with you? We're gonna It's your team. You got to give Clay a lot of credit for just being a gamer, for being competitive, for wanting not to leave his guys out there. And going out to shoot free throws on a busted ACL. And as gritty as that whole thing was, it's impressive, but it also makes you wonder, what will the Warriors be next year? What will the Warriors be after that? I mean, we all hope that KD and Clay are fine long-term, but at least for next year, even if they re-signed Clay and KD, both of those guys probably don't play at all next season. Maybe Clay by the time the postseason rolls around, but we just saw what it was like watching a guy like DeMarcus Cousins try to come back after a major injury and hit the ground running for the playoffs, and it wasn't great. Now, I think Clay will perform better than Boogie did, but at the same time, this is a compromised Warriors team moving forward, and we'll see what those two guys' careers look like going forward. Now, at number three, the New York Knicks take R.J. Barrett out of Duke, and Knicks fans were forlorn. They were sad, frustrated, angry that once again the gods had conspired against them as they did not win the lottery to get Zion and didn't even end up at number two for John Moran. But if you read the papers, go online, watch social media, and listen to the radio, you're starting to get a sense that Knicks fans are talking themselves into R.J. Barrett. Boomer Esiason certainly is. Here's Boomer and Geo, WFAN in New York. I was so glad last night when R.J. Barrett was picked and finally, finally, a Nick pick was actually cheered. Yeah, and the great. kid was walking up there, and he looked great in his pink suit and everything else. Said all the right things. His dad is, you know, played at St. John's here. His mom grew up in Brooklyn. I mean, come on, this guy awesome. was. This guy. The more I think about it, the more I'm like so like jacked as a Nick fan that they they stayed the course and they picked this kid. He looked great last night. Said all the right things. Everybody you talk to about him, you know, he's gonna he's gonna love the bright lights of New York. And then even listening to his dad talk last night, saying, "Hey, you know what? My son's gonna work harder. He's gonna get bigger. He's gonna get stronger. He loves basketball. This is the whole new moniker in sports. Do you love the sport that you play?" And and this kid obviously does. And Nick fans, you know, they showed him the love last night. Yeah, which you never see. That never happens. There's, there's two fan bases that have had some draft, I guess, fortune now that has changed. You usually NFL draft, Jet fans always hate their pick. That has not been the case the last couple of years. Generally, the Nick fan, you know, and the draft is in New York like it was last night. You know, they're booing the hell out of the pick. Nope, it was all cheers. This is who they wanted. And I thought that the interview with him right after the pick was made with his dad standing there and him saying, 
you know, this is what you want. You want to see your son be able to do this. I'm proud of your son. I mean, all these things. He just he he is he is everything you want at this stage of his career. Can we project that he is going to be a 10-time All-Star? No. But as it looks this morning, the Knicks drafted the right okay, guy. Yeah, of course they did. And I think everybody's happy with it. There's and and then comes uh the Windhorst uh, thing about Kevin Durant, which is so fascinating to me. Now, maybe yeah. they, maybe he puts it out there just so simply the rest of us will talk about it and and makes for good fodder. And it's a it's it's a good discussion point because if you didn't see what he said, Brian Windhorst uh, on ESPN basically comes out and says, "All right, look, here's what's going to happen with Kevin Durant. There's a scenario where the Golden State Warriors would give Kevin Durant." The supermax deal of two hundred and what twenty five million or two hundred twenty one million yep. over five years, they'd let him rehab as a Golden State Warrior and then come to an agreement where they could sign and you know basically trade him next year, uh, you know to whatever team is going to be stupid enough to give him a supermax for four years. I mean, I mean, like that would be like so malfeasance <laughs> uh, in regards to like the general manager of the Warriors. I know they all feel terrible. He hurt himself. But it, to give him a supermax deal and then trade him? Well, like what? It, what? What team is going to be stupid enough well, to actually? That's do the that? question because I, I actually think that the Warriors would be kind of smart because if he's going to leave anyway, at least you're protecting yourself from him leaving without getting something in but, return. But, you know, he's got a thirty-one and a half million dollar player option right now mm-hmm. that he can he he has until June 29th to make the decision that he opts out. As much as I admire Kevin Durant, as much as I love Kevin Durant, as much as I was hoping to see Kevin Durant in a Nick uniform. You know, if he signs a super max deal with Golden State and then the Knicks decide or the Nets decide to trade for him, I'm sorry, man. You're gonna you're gonna this guy's gonna be thirty seven or thirty eight years old. This contract's gonna take him to that, and he's a seven footer with an Achilles uh injury. It's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It would be idiotic. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good start that Barrett says he likes the limelight, that he wants the city of New York. But it's kind of easier said than done. We saw Amari Stoudemire, Carmelo Anthony, plenty of other guys want the limelight of New York, Stephon Marbury. Perhaps now it's going to be Kyrie or Kevin Durant. But you got to also deliver, and you also have to try to win in the middle of a dysfunctional organization, and that's easier said than done. So it's easy to embrace the quote-unquote New York part of things when you're not responsible for winning games or you don't realize how difficult that is because you haven't stepped on the floor yet for the Knicks. Zion goes number one, and some have made comparisons to a guy like LeBron James when it comes to Williamson. Is that a step too far? Here's ESPN analyst Chauncey Billups, who joined 97.1 The Ticket with Jamie and Stoney. Zion is the story, obviously, from last night and the story of this entire draft. Are you... I I don't want to put you on the spot, because your theme here has been you never know with these guys. you got to see how they play out, but... You know, we're calling this guy the next LeBron, the, the the new face of the NBA. I'm not quite there yet. Are you there with him? Do you think he's that good? Or that you know, is the build up no. meet the hype? No, I'm not there. I'm not there, but I, I believe in him. I really do. I mean, he, he's a good dude. He's humble. He he he's an athlete that we we haven't seen before with his size, strength, speed, all packaged in together. Um, I am there with that. But is he the next LeBron James? I'm not. I'm not going to say that. I mean, I don't want to put that kind of pressure on that kid. Um, and he just doesn't have the same type of game. Now, is he box office? Will he come in and have a good rookie season? I believe he will. I believe he will. He's just that good. 
But is he like is he is he LeBron James? I don't know that I would would go there. I, I spent some time uh, this week. I golfed with with your teammate Rip Hamilton, and I asked him uh, what was the biggest, toughest loss you guys had. Uh, basically, with with LeBron's forty eight game or the game five where Ori hit the shot. What's your answer? Oh, it's not even close. First of all, I just want to know how bad did Rip cheat you if you golfed with him. <laughs> he, Secondly, he was pretty good actually. Except, how about this, Chauncey? He comes to the club. And he forgot his clubs. <laughs> that, that sounds like Rip Hamilton. One thing about it, no matter how far off the, the fairway he hits it, he will find a ball. I don't know if it's his ball, but he's going to find a ball and put it in play. So watch him. Okay. But anyway, to answer your question, the biggest loss of my career, period, hands down, from the time I was a kid to when I retired, was 100% game five of, of the NBA Finals at home. San Antonio. That's that's that was the darkest day in my career. That loss right there. I mean that that crushed me. All right, let's talk about the big three. Uh, you are back with the big three again. You've been an ambassador for this league, and you know we talked yesterday with Clyde Drexler, the commissioner of the big three. And there's no doubt this thing is growing. Um, I, I asked Clyde, do you have players recruiting you, or are you recruiting players? And he says a little bit of both. You got a lot of guys who want to play. Why do you think this thing has worked and, and continues to work and you guys open up tomorrow night right here in Detroit at the LCA? Well, it's just so much fun. I love the big three. I wish that I could play. My, my, I just got too many miles on these legs over the years. My knee won't let me do it. But the, the first year that I play, I mean, I have so much fun, man. Like these guys, like, you know, we, we don't end up retiring because we can't play no more. And we retire because we can't play that amount of games anymore. <clears throat> that's that competitive fire doesn't just leave. Uh, you always have that, but you know the, the league gets younger. These young players get so much better, and you can't keep up and be the player that you once was. But if you play against players your age, you you know you, you, there's there's some that competitive juice is still there. So the big three has provided that opportunity for for so many different guys, man. And I'm telling you, like it's the way that we like to play. It's physical. You know, it's it's everybody talking. You talking trash out there? Like it's it's it is so much fun, and I'm so glad. Um, you know that we opened it up right in the D this year. I can't wait. Uh, your role on ABC, ESPN. There's rumors that uh, you're going to go to the, uh, the be actually the analyst during games because you like to do that more. Truth to that, or are you going to be uh, in the studio again? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do really, really enjoy calling games. Um, so we'll see how it all shakes out. You know, those things always happen midsummer. You know, those kind of decisions are made. But we'll see what happens. But I enjoy it. You know, I've been, I enjoy the, the sitting on the sitting on the on the on the studio show. I enjoy calling games this year. So um, you know, I just try to keep doing the best that I can do. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that's smart for Billups or anybody not to compare Zion Williamson to LeBron James. I mean, LeBron is one of the greatest players ever. Some think he's the greatest player ever. So comparing a guy that has not played in the NBA yet to the greatest player, one of the greatest players ever, is obviously premature. But Zion has all the pieces to become a great player, all of the pieces. And I think that's 
what makes you really think that there's something special straight ahead is that he's got all the athletic ability, but he's also got the mentality and the coachability and the NBA intellect to make it work. But comparing him to one of the greatest players of all time before he's even stepped in the NBA yet, I mean, look, if he ends up being Charles Barkley, which is a Hall of Famer, but not a top five player in the NBA all time, that's a great draft pick and a great career. But it doesn't have to be LeBron. The Miami Heat at number 13 took Kentucky shooter Tyler Hero. Now, Tyler joined his new town on Sports Talk 790, the ticket in Miami with Greg and Zach last night after getting drafted. You have a sense that you were coming to Miami, or was it, "Hey, I'm going to go to the I'm going to go to the Barclays Center, and and wherever I go, I go." Um, I knew my range was from you know nine to fifteen ish, sixteen ish. So I'm, you know, I was just happy to get drafted by Miami. But I mean, you know, they they believe in me, and that's that's all you need, and that's all you can ask for as a player. Tyler, we've talked a lot since you were drafted about your shooting prowess. You know, be the the free throw line, mid range game, of course, from three point range. Uh, what else do you bring to the table for those who didn't get to see you at Kentucky? You know, we watch you with the Wildcats, but for say if somebody has not seen you play, how would you describe yourself as a player? Um, obviously, my shooting. Um, I think I'm much more than that on the offensive end. I'm very skilled with the ball in my hands. I think I can make plays and facilitate, be the secondary handler, and I just bring a lot of toughness and energy on the defensive end. You know, I'm a hard worker, and I'm going to bring the right uh, attitude every single day. So I'm ready to get started. Well, I, I had to bring this up as well, Tyler. Uh, Dwayne Wade, not long after uh, you were the selection by the Miami Heat, tweeted about you. W- what is that like? Is uh, this day and age in social media where you have a, a superstar that just finished up a legendary career congratulating you on joining the Heat? Uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen that yet, so I haven't been on my phone yet. And I'm, uh, you know, it's a dream come true to have someone like that tweet at me and things like that. So I'm, I'm gonna check my phone and see, you know, what he had to say. Tyler, the scouting report on you is is very clear and evident that you're a shooter. You're a three-point shooter. You, you have a, a, a 93% free throw percentage. But Miami is built on defense. And, and, and talk about that part of your game. Uh, you know, give us a little scouting report on your defensive abilities. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, you know, definitely defensive. You know, I take pride in ever since I got to Kentucky. You know, Coach Cal emphasized without playing defense, you won't be on the floor. So uh, just being able to, you know, get, get some stops defensively is, you know, a big you know, I know that's big in Miami, so I'm just continuing to get better on that end of the floor. Hey, man, what's not to like? You're a college kid getting paid to play basketball, and you get to go do it in Miami. South Beach, the nightlife, the beaches, the weather, the women. Yeah, I think there was probably a lot worse places for Tyler Hero or anybody to be drafted by. So that that moment where you realize, oh, my gosh, I get paid and I get to do it in Miami, that's probably a really good feeling. On the diamond, the Philadelphia Phillies are scrambling. They are in the middle of a big losing stretch, and the city of Philadelphia is killing Gabe Kapler because he continues to start Gene Segura. Here's a guy that has multiple times not shown hustle, and in Philly, people want to see it, and unfortunately, he's not showing it, and Kapler is refusing to bench him because they need the bat, and they're in the middle of a losing streak. So, Angelo Cataldi, WIP in the morning show in Philadelphia, going after Kapler and calling for his firing. I'm going to say it straight out, and I'll say it again this morning, right now at 6.04 a.m. Gabe Kapler should not be managing the Philadelphia Phillies. He should have been fired. And the fact that he wasn't, and the fact that Gene Segura played last night, is a disgrace to the Phillies organization, and to the city of Philadelphia. A working city that prides itself 
on people that work hard every single day, every single play. And he doesn't do it, and there were no repercussions for it. And as a result of that, I have one conclusion to draw out. What is it? He's not really managing his team. He's not really doing his job. And I haven't even gotten yet to the results he has gotten on the field in the year and a half that Gabe Kapler has managed the team. Because we saw a historic collapse last year, and it appears we may be in the middle of one again right now. <laughs> Al, were you amazed that Gene Segura was in the starting lineup? I was surprised. I wasn't amazed. All right. What was your reaction when the manager of the team did not discipline a player who twice now did not play the game the right way, lost them a star player the first time, mm-hmm. lost them a, a base in the second one? How did you feel that he did nothing? I thought he should have pulled him in the game. Well, I you're thought, a compelling and dramatic figure. I thought he should have <laughs> pulled him in that game, like when he didn't run to start it. Right. But then after that, now it's like, well, and I don't late. know. Now he's well, once, he, once he doesn't pull him in that right. game. He's painted, he's painted he's himself painted into, himself a, corner. into right. a corner. He did too. John, uh, you covered the team. I'm, I'm looking forward to your response. I, I was blown away that he was in the lineup right. because he directly insulted his own manager by doing it again. Right. And it's at that point in time, you as the manager, even though you want to be friends with these guys, you have to let them know this is not acceptable. And by not benching him, it means he's nothing more than the cheerleader for this team. Yeah. That he's afraid to step on his players' toes. He's not managing his team. No, he's not. Not managing a situation. Not taking a stand at an important moment. And not doing it in a city where I think it's even more important. And you're going to see tonight how important it is when you see the reaction to Chase Utley. It's so bizarre here that it came on the same huh. night. I, I, that Segura coming back on the night they're honoring a true baseball legend in this town because he played the game the right way. You could get two really diverse reactions from the fans tonight. Oh, I, well, I, I'm yeah. fascinated yeah. by it. I don't know how angry they're going to be. I know how angry they've been on my email. How are they going to deal with it? I want to tell you how I would deal with it if I were there tonight, right? And there are going to be a lot of people there. And when Chase Utley was introduced, I would howl and scream yes. and cheer that will because, A, he's a champion, and, B, he played the game the way Philadelphia wants to see it played. And when Gene Segura came out and they announced his name, I would boo till I didn't have a voice. And then hopefully I'll, I would get my voice back the moment Gabe Kapler came out to remove a, pl- a pitcher. Mm-hmm. And then I would give it to him the same way. Then I would give it to him the same way because Kapler and Segura need to know something. They are performing in Philadelphia, and it's not acceptable in Philadelphia. Scorched Earth time in Philadelphia, and this is what happens. I talked about this incessantly in the offseason when Bryce Harper insisted he wanted to go play in Philadelphia. Careful what you wish for. You better not go there for the money. You better go there because you really want to be there because they're going to be tough, and they're going to get on you, and they're going to be reactionary, and they're not going to appreciate a guy lying down, and that's what Segura has done. And I don't blame Phillies fans. I don't blame Cataldi for saying, hey, you've got to show some type of punishment here. And look, In Gabe Kapler's world, he's saying there's other ways to teach lessons than punishment. 
that punishment is a narrow-minded dynamic in trying to get the best out of your players. Okay, that's fine, but you can't keep losing ball games because if you're in the middle of a losing free fall and you're not disciplining your players by benching them if they're showing up their teammates or they're not hustling or they're helping you lose games, then you've got no leg to stand on. Then it just looks like the worst is just going to keep getting even more worse. Finally, the Women's World Cup. The U.S. is through the group stage, and they went undefeated. Didn't even concede a goal. So a very dominating start for the U.S. American women. Now here is Fox Sports analyst Kat Whitehill on Gwyn and Chris, 97.3, the fan in San Diego, on what this women's team means here in the States and how we continue to build such a internationally powerhouse women's soccer team. I always was really impressed with the with with how this U.S. Women's World Cup soccer team and what it means to all of the young ladies in our country yeah. who watch them play, and I, I just think that they are a great example of what the right way to go about doing things is, and they inspire so many kids to play soccer. And I think that's one of the reasons why the U.S. is staying up on top because kids are just continuing to play, and they they love watching this team. They look up to these uh, players so much. Well, that's what I love um, about, you know, these players and when I played and everything. um, You know, we we are always fighting for equality, but at the same time we have been given – a lot more than a lot of other teams have. And, and that's what uh, I have to give U.S. soccer a lot of credit, Title IX a lot of credit um, for the, our opportunities. And a lot of people are saying, you know, the world's catching up, the world's catching up. But at the same time, we're not stagnant in our development. You know, the NWSL is, is still an excellent place for players to play. People from, you know, all, of, all over the world are coming to play over, over here in our pro league and, uh, and yes, you know we're always reaching for better, and and because we, you know, we deserve the best. But at the same time, you know, we work hard, and, and we want to show young women that, you know, when you do work hard, and when you do like uh, look at a goal you want to achieve, well, the dream is there, and and that's kind of been um, the unfortunate, consistent theme still, even in this World Cup, uh, the eighth World Cup, is that you know you talk about. South Africa, and you talk about Chile, and you talk about even Scotland, um, the debutantes uh, of the World Cup, that now Scotland and, and South Africa, they have people that they can dream about being. Well, I've yeah. had that dream for forever. You know, like I could say I wanted to be Carla Overback, I wanted to be Michelle Akers, and I wanted to be uh, Joy Fawcett. And now, you know, I've had that since, for me, when I first saw it as a young player in the 96 Olympics. Um, but that's a lot longer than South African players have seen with their teams, you know, since 2019, which is, you know, this is their, their first World Cup. They've been in Olympics before. So I think that's what, where the United States is. They set, we set them, we set the bar for teams. We set the bar for, you know, our demands and, and wanting to be the best and want our demands and, and equality. And, and I just, uh, you know, it, it's so fun to, to be a part of such an incredible group and a, a group that, you know, aspires. We we have we we want to obviously win World Cups and, and Olympics, but at the same time, we also want to leave a legacy for young for young girls and young women to dream bigger than they ever imagined. Cat Whitehill joins us. Fox Sports World Cup analyst joins us here on the SDCCU Fan Hotline. Cat, uh, I, I got to ask you. You've watched a lot of these World Cup games. Who have you been aside from France and the United States? Who have you been uh, surprised by or, or or see them being 
I don't want to say a threat, but uh, just one of those teams that uh, came out of nowhere. Well, there's two. One, I think that another big threat that the United States has to be aware of is England. I think mm. uh, their problem is they can't put 90 minutes together, but in their first 45 to 60 minutes, they are a very explosive and dynamic team. But the biggest surprise to me has actually been Italy. Um, and I and I think that's a testament to uh, the Italian club putting forth money into uh, the women's program. Juventus has eight players. You have Roma, you have Milan, all these other teams putting um, forth efforts to develop the women's game. And, you know, it's it's been 20 years since Italy had their first win and here they are top of the group over australia and brazil two Mm. teams that a lot of people have winning this tournament so i think that's a fun team to watch and they're on the other side of the bracket um from the united states uh so if if they can continue their run they're very disciplined defensively um but can they score it's kind of the question now um, they struggled a little bit against Brazil with finishing their chances, but Italy's a team to watch. Uh, check out Barbara Bonasea. She's a fun. All player. right, Barbara Bonasea. They're a likable team. They're a likable group, and they're dominant. And America loves a winner. If they weren't that great, it wouldn't be that big a deal, I'm sure. But I think those women in general do allow a lot of girls to dream athletically and maybe for even other reasons here in the States. And they are role models in so many ways. And they're strong and they're smart and they're successful and they're bright. So I think they're great examples for a lot of young women in our country and really young people altogether. That's the best of your sports talk for Friday, June the 21st. We'll see you on Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 